uh, uh, to First John chapter three, First John chapter three, and the the title of this message is called "A Life Worth Living Is a Life of Love." First John chapter three, and if I had to sum if I had to sum this sermon up in a sentence, it would say, "Believers can have assurance of their salvation by the manifestation of the Spirit in their lives, seen by obedience to God, love for others, and answered prayers." Again, believers can have assurance of their salvation by the manifestation of the Spirit in their lives, seen by obedience to God, love for others, and answered prayers. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth, and we assure our hearts before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Verse 23, this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You. We praise Your holy name. Uh, we're so grateful that you, we can love because you first loved us. We're so grateful for love. We're grateful for that grace, Lord. And Father, we just pray that tonight you would empty me of myself and that you would speak through me, Lord. Um, that you would step in place of all my insecurities and all my doubts. Uh, that, God, you would move in this place like a mighty rushing wind. Like the, like the, uh, the, the cool breeze that we need in this place right now. I pray... God, that you would reach hearts, that you would soften hearts and open eyes, open ears to hear. Do what only you can do tonight, Lord. Save souls, strengthen the brethren, help us learn to love. It's in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Like I said, the title of this message is A, a Life Worth Living is a Life of Love. Uh, this, this morning I got a chance to, to preach at Brother Pete's uh, church. That's why I wasn't here. I was out there in Glenwood. And speaking about love, let me tell you, I didn't know Sonia was out of town, but... Uh, I got done preaching, and he, he, he hit the door, Jack. He was gone. I said, he's got a hot date with Sonia. I know where he's going, right? You know? <laughs> he was getting out of there, but I didn't know she wasn't in town. So I swore. I, I mean, Pete was gone before I even had a chance to leave. He, he had the car warm uh, uh, with the AC going and everything, and he was gone. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for your guys' love. But this kind of love doesn't have anything to do with that. Um, Anyway, so we're looking kind of here in First John and what we've kind of gone through so far. And as we're, we're nearing, we're tiptoeing chapter 4, uh, what we've looked at is that John's battling these false teachers. Uh, and he's taught us not to love the world. Um, he's taught us things about the Antichrist and the Antichrists, uh, things about eschatology, which is the end times. Uh, he taught us that Jesus is the propitiation. And he's also taught us that he's also the advocate, our, our advocate before the Father. Uh, he's taught us a few things about, you know, how the children of God are obvious because of their obedience to righteousness and their commands to God. But today we see that not only uh, can we have assurance of our salvation through uh, our obedience to righteousness, 
but also that the children of God are obvious by how they love one another, right? So look with me at verse 14, the first part of verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Man, that word is so strong right there at the beginning of verse 14. We know. We know. And remember that, that John's battling these false teachers. And, and these false teachers believed that um, they didn't really have to show love to each other. They believed that they, they were what they call antinomianists. They, they believed that they didn't have to adhere to the law or adhere to anything that God had commanded them. So they didn't have to love each other. They didn't have to live a righteous life. They could just live however they wanted to because they were under grace, right? Like, and, and Paul definitely talks about that, right? Uh, they, they separated their followers from the flock uh, when their teaching was questioned or when their teaching was rejected. That's the whole point of John saying they went out from us because they were not of us. John's saying that, you know, by saying we know, John is saying that we know we are born again by our obedience and love for God and, and, towards, and our love towards one another. He's saying that we can have absolute assurance of our salvation because of the love that was displayed or because of the love that is displayed through us by Him. He's saying, we know the truth here. Don't believe the false teachers. We know what's true. And he even says in verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So there's two types of people here. There's the, the Christian who loves and is genuine. And then there's the person who hates and is self-deceived, right? Uh, and for those who love and are genuine... John describes their salvation in this beautiful, magnificent, just stellar way. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. We've passed out of death into life. So this shows us really the, the depths of human depravity. The, the fact that by nature we're all children of wrath, right? Uh, that, that, and that was brought to us by, by Adam through our father, or through what, our, our forefather Adam, who sinned in the garden when, when Eve ate of the fruit and he ate of it. it. It brought a condition of spiritual death unto all humanity. You know, we didn't know God, nor did we desire to, to know God, nor could we come to God on our own. We lived this certain life to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil, right? And the more and the more that we lived this life to the world and to the flesh and to the devil, the more and more dead that we became, right? When something's dead, it sits there and it decays and it starts to stink and it just starts to rot, right? Seems to be how we were in that life. You can look back at your life and see how it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. No matter uh, what walk of life you came from, no matter what you did, sin will always take you further than you want to go. But thanks be to God, right? <coughs> Thanks be to God, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we're talking about a miracle here. We were dead, dead, dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, through his grace and his mercy, when we believe through faith, transferred us from darkness to light, from death to to life, from graves to the gardens, from ashes to beauty, from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, from dry bones to an army, and from the child of devil to the child of God. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ shouted out, Lazarus, come forth. He rose from the dead and he walked out of the tomb. And in the same way, when Jesus called your name, you didn't barter with him. You didn't resist him. You didn't say, no, thank you, Jesus. No, you got up from the dead and you began to live. Amen? Amen. It wasn't saying, you know, it, it wasn't saying, no, 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 thank you, Jesus. He, he didn't say, Jeff, now I'm good. I'm good. You no, know, he got up and he lived. 
Your heart beat for the first time. You know, your lungs experience breath of God. Your senses pulsed with this electric current of the Holy Ghost. You came to life, amen? God picked you up and he brought you home where you belong. He cleaned you up and he, and he washed the death away. You didn't stink no more. A million angels rejoiced in heaven as one lost son or one lost daughter came home. You know, a million angels shouted in ecstasy as one sinner was brought from death to life. It was a miracle. Beloved, a miracle took place the day you were saved. And don't you ever forget that. My buddy Matt Black always says this. He says, it's nothing short of a miracle that we're saved, Tanner. And I didn't really think about that until I started putting this sermon together and it really hit me hard. He said, it's nothing short of a miracle that we're saved. It is. It's a resurrection, amen, from death to life. It didn't go unnoticed. It's like you got hit by a log truck, man. You're going to be different, right? A total transformation took place. What we used to love, we began to hate. And what we used to hate, we began to love. And one of those things that we began to love and one of those things that we do love is other Christians. Look there at verse 14 with me. We know that we have passed out of death death into life because we love the brethren. Oh, it's the second part. I'm sorry. Uh, He who does not love abides in death. So there's proof of our salvation in how we treat one another. So do we love our brothers or sisters in Christ? There is assurance that a spiritual resurrection took place in our lives and how we love other Christians. I mean, look at John 13, 35. It says, by this all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And and as we move on, remember that there are two types of people listed in this passage. Hold on, I got to find something real quick. Bear with me. Two seconds. It's going to throw me off when I get there. So I might as well be there early. Okay, I got there now. All right, sorry. So as we move on, remember that there's two types of people listening in this passage. The first were those who love God and are genuine Christians. And the second are those who hate and are self-deceived. So 14b, he who does not love abides in death. The one who hates his brother or his sister is dead. The one whose life is marked by hatred is self-deceived and eternal life is not in them. So they're dead in their trespasses and sins. It's evident by their life. It's evident that they're dead. It's who they are. There's no glory of God living in them. There's no Holy Spirit. It's evident that if they died, uh, there would be no eternal life, only complete separation from God. Amen. Uh, Only eternal damnation, only weeping and gnashing of teeth where the fire never is quenched and the earth eateth not. Uh, It's never satisfied. There's only death and death. And, and, and separation from God. So death is separation from God and life is the presence of God, right? So where there is no presence of God, it's, it's death and, and God is not in hell, amen? He created it for Satan and his angels. So John goes on to further explain this and, and, and look at verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So this isn't saying that, that murderers can't be saved. So if you've ever committed murder in here, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. we got Ben in here. He'll take you to jail. Don't, don't raise your hand if you committed murder. <laughs> They're short-staffed. He won't take you to that. Anyways, no. So this ain't saying that murderers can't be saved because you look at Moses, right? Moses committed premeditated murder. He looked to the left. He looked to the right. He looked to and fro. And he saw that nobody was looking. He went up and he killed the Egyptian, right? Buried him in the sand. 
Then you look at Paul. He held the coats for those who stoned Stephen. And later on in the New Testament, he even says, I approved of that. And he was just as guilty as those who threw the rocks. He held the coats. He cheered them on. Stone him, stone him, stone him. But God saved their souls, right? So it's not saying that murderers can't be saved. But what this is really getting to is the heart of the matter. And you know, John knew this teaching uh, pretty, pretty well, I would say, because he spent those years with Jesus, right? Uh, he, he learned it from Jesus. He passed it along to his readers uh, in the first century and then even continued on to today. So Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there real quick. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Like I said, Jesus is really getting to the, or John's really getting to the heart of the matter and, and he learned this from Jesus. So Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing or raka shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. It's that easy. So Jesus said that that anger against a brother is on the same level as murder. Because just the, just the hatred inside of a man is capable of festering into murder. You know, hatred is not life-giving. It's only, it's only life-ending. I mean, you look at Cain and you look at Abel, right? And what did God tell Cain? He said, he's, why is your countenance fallen, man? You better check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? In, in, a different, in a different way. He says, sin's crouching at your door and its desire is for you. You better check yourself. And he didn't. That anger festered up into murder and he killed his brother. And if you look up in First John there, just a little bit, a few, a few uh, verses back, he'll give you that description. It's important to note that, that John's opponents were not practicing righteousness. Like I said, they, they lived this, high, this life of hatred. They were antinomianists, so they, they were pretty much spiritual anarchists. Uh, they rejected the law. They, they rejected the commands of Christ. They believed that none of this applied to them. They could live however they wanted to. Once saved, always saved in the wrong context. They were self-deceived. They were empty of eternal life. It just goes to show that a person's life that is marked by hatred is not a life that has been born by the love of Christ. So you might say to me, you know, that's great for non-Christians, but what about me? I'm a Christian, and I have anger in my heart towards my brother. I'm a Christian, and I'm angry towards my brother or sister. What do I do? You know what I say to you? Join the club, man. Join the club because I don't always get along with my brothers or sisters either. I don't do this perfectly. Sometimes I'm angry and sometimes I'm sinning in my heart towards my brother or my sister. But thank you, Jesus, that he didn't leave us with condemnation. Amen. So we look down there at Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. If you're still there, go ahead and go back there. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So when we, when we hold anger, when we hold resentment, when we hold bitterness in our hearts, it weighs us down, it makes us sick, it drives us to sin. It's much like, uh, much like Cain, right? So, so my advice to you, Christian, who's holding anger in your heart or resentment in your heart or bitterness in your heart towards another brother or sister, you have that hatred festering up in your heart is to go make amends. Do what Jesus commanded in verse 5. If you know that somebody's got something wrong against you, vice versa, if you've got something wrong against somebody else, go make amends with that person before you come to the altar and make your sacrifice. Write out a list. 
You know what that tells me? It tells me this, that before I sit down, before I kneel down to pray and ask for anything else, I better be asking the Lord to forgive me for the way that I feel towards my brother or sister in that matter, right? So it, it, this, whole, this whole thing works good for me is I take a list, man. I make a list and I write it out. The things that I've been doing that I have unconfessed sin towards God or uh, to, that I haven't confessed my sin to the God about. Uh, I, I, I write it down. I say, man, Danny Dell, I did this to him. I said that to him. I said this to John. I did that to Rick. You know, Lord, forgive me. And the next chance that I get, I'm going to Rick. And I'm saying, will you forgive me for this is what I said? Will you forgive me for this is what I thought? John, will you forgive me? Danny, will you forgive me? And what that's doing is it's showing the love of Christ even in you, right? That's my advice for you. So if you hold anger in your heart as a Christian towards another brother or sister, it's, it's time to come clean. It's time to let that out. Don't let it weigh you down. Think about Cain. Sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to have you. Don't allow it to devour you, okay? Don't allow it to, uh, to have you commit murder. Stop committing murder in your heart anymore. Christians don't hate each other. Christians love each other. It's evident by the way that the Holy Spirit will not allow you to sit on that all night long. He'll, he'll just grill you on the inside, right? He'll grieve you. He'll, he'll make you want to make it right. Like you ain't got a choice, right? You're going to be obedient. You can't sleep at night. You can't hardly rest until you make haste and you go to your brother and get it right or your sister and you get it right. So remember the one who died for us. Remember his love. It's the perfect example. Look there at verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Every Christian has experienced this love. If you're a Christian in this room today, you've experienced that love of Christ, that he's laid down his life for you. And the love of Jesus is that Christ, the creator of the universe, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, stepped down from his throne, was born of a virgin. He lived this perfect life. He taught many people about the kingdom of God and salvation. Uh, uh, he loved his whole entire ministry, his whole entire life. He washed feet. He sat down and, and he acted like a servant washing the feet of his disciples. He even washed the feet of Judas, knowing full well who he would be, knowing full well that he would betray him, and he still washed his feet. Jesus suffered. And let me go through the list again because you can never hear it enough. He was beaten. He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was punched. He was spit on. He was slapped. The crown of thorns piercing his head and the blood flowing down his face and the whips and the purple robes and the mocking, all to the king of the universe, to Jesus Christ our Lord. That love, he did that to obedience to God so that we may be saved. What love that is. He laid down his life for us. What love, man. What love. Love knows greater, no, no one greater than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. I'm his friend. He stabbed in the side, he died. You know what? He loves enough. He loves us enough that he's going to come back and get us one day. Amen? Amen. He's coming back. He loves us enough that he's going to save us from this crooked, perverse generation, from this world. That he's going to demolish the first this world, and 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 the he's going to destroy the heavens and the earth. And he's going to usher in a new heaven and earth. We're going to be able to live there with him, with where where the face of Jesus Christ will be the glory of the sun. We wouldn't need no sun, no lamp, no light, nothing. His glory will radiate heaven. His glory will radiate earth. And we'll live with him in perfect harmony for the rest of eternity. That's forever. Just keep drawing zeros, zeros, zeros. It'll go on and on and on and on that many years. 
So Jesus looked through our sins. He looked through the wretch that I used to be. He looked through the the wretch that I am into the image of God in whom we were made. He saw us in our mess and he loved us anyways. He saw me with with uh, living the life that I've that I've lived, stealing cars and, and getting high and doing the things that I did. And, and he died for me there. He knew exactly who I would be. And he died for me there. My question is this. Have you forgotten this love? Have you forgotten this love, this great love that was poured out for you? Because sometimes I forget it. So you know what my tip is to you then? Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Get up in the morning and tell yourself the gospel. He lived. He, he died. He rose again. He ascended and He's coming back. Preach that to yourself every single day. Go through the sufferings of Christ and realize what He did for you and what love He displayed on the cross for you. And you won't forget about it then. We need to remember this love. You know why? Because it's going to shape the way that we deal with others around us. It's going to shape the way that we deal with our Christian brothers. We ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. This is hard for me to preach, guys. I had a hard time putting this sermon together all week. It's been hard. Thank you, Lord. But Jesus forfeited his own life. He, he, he willingly gave it up, right? He gave up his own desires to live in order to be obedient to the Father and to give us eternal life. He gave up his own desires to live in order to be obedient to the Father and to give us eternal life. We ought to do the same for one another in whatever capacity that we can. We ought to lay aside our feelings. We ought to look past the mess of the brother or sister and love them accordingly. Whatever kind of love that is that God would tell us to love that person with at that time, whether it's tough love or compassion or grace, love that brother or sister accordingly. So, so how can we lay our lives down for the brethren then? We look at verses 17 and 18. It kind of gives us a pretty good uh, scope of things. But whoever has the world's good, verse 17, whoever has the world's goods and, see his brother, and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Our third point, I've been skipping right through all my points, but whatever, we're at our third point. It was cool that I did this too because it was all like a life of love, a love, whatever, it was cool. Man, you should have seen it, but you, you don't get to see it now, but... Uh, my third point, a life of love. Uh, the Holy Spirit that's, that's living inside of us, right? If, if we're saved, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and what, what are the fruit of the Spirit? It's, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Am I forgetting anything else? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. <laughs> Grandpa Terry struggles with that one, remember? <laughs> that's what he said. Uh, but, it, but when we have this Holy Spirit living inside of us, this fruit of the Spirit's flowing out of us. And it motivates us to this Acts chapter 2 life of love, right? Like we looked at uh, last Sunday morning where they're just selling everything they got left and right, giving their shirts off their back. They're, they're giving everything they can to just meet together in fellowship. They didn't care what skin color they had. They didn't care uh, uh, what this other person, what family they came from or none of that stuff. They was just doing anything they could to meet together in the same place to love one another. Amen? Amen. So where we have the world's goods... That's what it says. Anybody who has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his hearts against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So where we have the world's goods, where we have money, where we have food, where we have equipment, you know, where, where I'm from, maybe that's a tractor uh, and maybe, that, maybe that's a skid loader. Maybe that's um, a hay rake or something like that. Uh, whoever has resources, 
Maybe you know somebody somewhere. You got clout, as Rick would say. Uh, maybe you got a house. You got shelter. What about this world's good time, right? If you punch the clock and you go to work every single day, that's what you're getting paid for is your time. Not your service, not anything else. It's your time. That's what you're getting paid for. They want your time. They want you to work for them. We, and so where we have the world's goods, money, food, equipment, resources, shelter, time, we gladly and we gladly give it to help one of our brothers and sisters in need. Uh, it could be just as simple as a car ride home. It could be as simple as giving your truck to somebody who's moving. It could be as simple as taking the time out of your day to have a conversation with somebody who needs to have it. Uh, what about a hot meal, you know? Uh, that's been a, a love language of mine for a long time. It seems like every time I was doing bad, somebody would demonstrate their love towards me by giving me a hot meal, by giving me some food or putting some gas in my truck or helping me out, you know? It's just being available sometimes, you know? So how can we love our brother or our sisters? Well, it's by laying our lives down. By picking up our cross, by following Jesus, everything's going to flow from there, okay? It's, where, it's how we can love one another sacrificially. You know, it could be love spoken in truth. It could be love spoken in a rebuke. You know, the world's goods is time, so it could be just taking time to be honest with a brother or sister about their life and saying it all in love, you know? You know, it could be giving up your own desires and your own resources for the sake of your brother or sister, demonstrating the love of Christ that way. It could be giving up your Sunday afternoon nap to be able to help somebody move. Whatever it could be, demonstrating your love. Helping one of your brothers and sisters who's not doing so well financially. However you can help them. How can we love our brothers or our sisters? Well, let's just keep reading. So we see uh, little children in verse 18. So when he says little children, he's talking to believers. He's talking to us. And he says, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So how can we love our brothers or sisters? Well, we don't talk about it. We be about it, right? I'm from Missouri. I'm from the show me state. So you're going to have to show me your love. Faith without works is dead. Demonstrate your love for one another. Be, uh, uh, do, it, do it for the right reasons, with a pure heart, not to give to somebody and then hold your phone up and take a selfie at the same time and watch me love on this person. There goes your reward. Throw it away. Throw it all away. We know who you're doing it for. Stop it. So that's how we prove to have passed out of death to life. It's by our love for one another. When we love each other with our pure hearts and pure motives, we give up our time, the world's goods, all the things. We love one another by imitating Jesus. You know that old, that old slogan, what would Jesus do? Well, what Jesus would do in this situation is not what I'm going to do, and it's almost impossible for me to do that, but I'll do my best. You know, that's what I have to say to those bracelets, that WWJD. We love one another by imitating Jesus. We love one another because he first loved us. We love one another, not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's in living this life of obedience and love that, that we have confidence of our salvation. Don't you want to have confidence of where you stand on judgment day? What's your life look like? Are you loving your brother or your sister? Is your life a life of obedience to the Lord? Not that you're going to do it perfectly, but is that, is that the trajectory of your life? It's in, this, uh, it's in living this life of obedience and love that, our, that we have confidence of our salvation, that we trust that our prayers are not hindered. We look at verses 19 through 22. I'm sweating up here. We'll know by this that we are of the truth and we'll assure our heart before him. 
And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So truthful love, and this is my fourth point, the, the confidence of love. Truthful love proves that we are of the truth, okay? It, it gives us peace in our hearts before God. And so what is the truth? Well, the truth is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody goes to the Father but through Him. So in love and obedience to what God commands, we know we belong to the truth. We know we belong to Jesus, and we have peace before God. Living a life of love gives us assurance of our salvation. Look there at verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows all things. It's important to, to stop here for a minute. I'm not going to stop for long because I know we're all burning up in here, but... Uh, as, as, as we read this passage, we saw heavy words, right? Uh, pretty much saying that if you don't love your brother or sister, if you hate your brother or sister, uh, that you're going to hell. That's basically what the text is saying. That's what it seems to mean. That's what it seems to be saying, right? There's a difference between loving and, or be, between hating somebody and liking somebody. There's a difference between loving somebody and liking somebody, right? Uh, uh, you, can, you can struggle to like your brother or your sister, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to look past all of the stuff that you don't like about them and, and try to love them, right? Does that make sense? Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's really hard. I mean, there's a reason why we have denominations. There's a reason why uh, people go to different churches and do different things. Uh, there's a reason why Paul and Barnabas split because Paul didn't like uh, Mark at the time. He, not that he didn't love him. He didn't like what Mark did. So they split and they went opposite directions and God was glorified in it. Um, and so, so to stop here, we see these heavy things. It's easy to fall under the weight of self-condemnation, that your heart is saying, I'm not saved. Your heart might be saying, um, I don't love my brother or my sister perfectly, so I'm not right with God. Uh, but I want to say this, that, that we're not perfect yet, right? Uh, of course, we don't keep the law perfectly. Only Jesus could keep the law perfectly. Of course, we don't always walk in perfect obedience. Of course, we haven't loved our brother or our sister perfectly. Join the club. But don't allow your feeble little heart to condemn you, right? Rather, listen to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. Answer the conviction by God who is greater. Repent from your sins and be cleansed. Amen? It's 1 John 1, 9. Uh, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So although we may have doubt, although we have moments of insecurities, God knows those who are His and He wants to give us assurance of our salvation. He doesn't want us to sit here and wonder all the time. He wants us to know that we know that we know. Amen? It's Romans 8, 1. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ, God does not condemn you. It's your own heart that's trying to condemn you. You may say or you may feel like you never add up. You know, like you can never get it right. Lay it down, man. Lay it all the way down. Know the truth. Know this. Don't trust your heart. Your heart's deceitful and it's wicked. Who should know it but the Lord? Know the truth. Examine your life. Be confident in where you stand. And you know, and this is also for, for those people who stand proud and lofty. You know, those who believe that they love perfectly and live obediently to a T, right? Like they're the Pharisees. Like I've got this all figured out. I'm glad I'm not like that guy, right? God is greater than their hearts. And he has something to say to those hypocrites. He says, repent and, and trust in Jesus. Learn how to love through his example. Turn from your sins. Look with me at verses 21 through 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. 
whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So living a life of love and obedience, knowing the truth about who God says we are, gives us confidence before God and it removes our insecurities. So remember, uh, remember, church, that we can have boldness in prayer as we, rep- as we approach the throne. the throne. We can have boldness in prayer. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that Jesus did and does through us. That's the reason for our boldness to approach the throne of God. It's because we know the one who paid it all. Again, not because of anything that we did, but because of everything that he has done. He's our mediator. We know the one who intercedes for us day and night. That's the reason for our boldness. So as we imitate Christ, living a love-filled life that has been resurrected from the grave, as we keep God's commandments, as we do the things that, that are pleasing in his sight, as we come to him with a pure heart, we can receive the blessings of answered prayers in our life. Why? Because it's in this manner of living that we are fully submitted to the Lord. And how else could we be praying but in His will, right? How else could we be praying anything other than His will? So you might say to me, so what, Tanner? What's all that got to do with anything? What are you telling me to do? So what? I'm telling you to love. Love. Love as you have been loved. Lay it all down on the line. Pick up your cross and love. Know that you don't have to waver in doubt and insecurities anymore. You can have assurance of your salvation. A great miracle happened the day that you were saved. Live out that spiritual resurrection for the glory of God, right? If you've never experienced life, look at verse 23. This is His commandment. If you've never experienced life, this is His commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he commanded us. It's even our commandment, Christian. It is directed towards those who believe, right? But, but even if, if you haven't experienced life, know this. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Believe in Jesus. Love one another. Submit to his commandments and experience freedom. There is bondage and rebellion, right? But there's freedom and submission, I learned that from a counselor at Ozark Correctional Center. Bondage and rebellion, but freedom and submission. Submit to the Lord and experience freedom. Let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Believers can have assurance of their salvation by the manifestation of the Spirit in their lives, seen by obedience to God, love for others, and answered prayers. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Uh, We praise you for this day. Uh, We praise you for this building, Lord. We thank you for the hearts that are here that are gathered in this this hot building. They don't care, Lord. They love you. They love their brethren. And they're here to worship you. I pray, God, that if there's anybody in this room tonight that does not know you, that you would begin to draw them, God. That you would begin to to call them to your son, Jesus Christ. Christ. That you would uh, work in their hearts, till their hard hearts, Lord, and soften it, that they might be saved. And I pray for all of those of us in here tonight, because every one of us probably are guilty for, for having something against our brother, for having something against our sister, that we thought something, that we said something, that we did something uh, in, in anger or, in a, or in kind of in a way of hatred. I pray, God, that you would not allow us to leave here tonight without confessing our sins to you and to one another. So, Lord, we just ask for your spirit to move in this place. It's in Jesus' name, amen.